the Askell Business Brunch. Hello and welcome to the Askell Business Brunch podcast. My name's Hayley Dunn and I'm Askell's Business Leadership Specialist. And I'm Julia Hounden and I'm Askell's Funding Specialist. And we're absolutely delighted to bring you another special interview episode. And we're going to be joined by Lisa Fathers, who's going to be talking to us today about menopause. And I don't know about you, Julia, but I think it's one of those things that we really need to destigmatize. It's something I, I know I've talked to you and to other colleagues about my personal family experiences. And it's something that, that I'm actually personally quite terrified of, that, that it's coming down the line at some point, being in my early 40s, you never know when it might hit. And I think it's something we really need to be talking about because if people like us can't talk about it, then then who can? I absolutely agree, Hayley. I'm delighted to, to be able to be part of this um, podcast. Um, and, and there are lots, lots of questions that I'm hoping we're going to get uh, to be able to talk about today and get answers to, particularly around a lot of the myths, because I think... You know, even though we're talking about this a lot more, which is fantastic, every so often I think it's really important to be able to, to strip back to basics um, and, and really start from the beginning again. So, yeah, absolutely delighted to have this opportunity. Lisa, we're so delighted that you can join us. And I know that you're, you're very well known within the education sector. But for those who perhaps haven't heard of you, do you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your role and your interest in the menopause? Lovely, yeah, and I'm really happy to be here. So, yeah, Lisa Fathers, I'm part of our trust executive team, and so I'm an executive leader at Bright Futures Educational Trust, and I have a, a number of responsibilities, and, and just some of those are that I'm the trust lead for professional development and partnerships, uh, and that kind of um, work really has led me into facilitating, organising, and leading lots of training uh, in lots of areas, some of which is related to mental health and well-being. Um, so I was recently, uh, up until quite recently, a national trainer for mental health first aid England. Um, I led the Greater Manchester Mentally Healthy Schools Project. Um, and I currently chair the Well Schools Movement, which is all about uh, staff well-being and pupil well-being. Um, and, you know, being a woman who is 46, um, I've recently developed quite an interest in menopause, not just for myself, but also really thinking about the, the huge amount of women in our sector uh, and really kind of getting quite curious about how do we make sure that our schools and our multi-academy trusts uh, are getting the best out of people at every stage of their career. Um, and so out of our trust, we run some training with a, a specialist mental health nurse who's, who's done the specialist training in menopause. Um, I, I, we run that training. In fact, we, we've just sold out the, the five first sessions in autumn um, and I, I think that that is great because it means that schools are actually listening and they do want to know more. That sounds fantastic, uh, Lisa. And I think it, it's so good, isn't it, that the education sector um, is one of the sectors that's leading the way in that. We are educators after all. So, um, that, you know, and that should go across the board, shouldn't it? Um, so, so going in my introduction, I said, you know, every so often I think it's really good that we can we can strip back and start to to, to talk about something um, from from the the very beginning. So, with that in mind, could you just start by talking to us about what the menopause is, perhaps a bit about symptoms, and who does it affect? Of course, I can. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's just take the word menopause. So, meno means menstrual, our menstrual cycle periods, and pause means stop. So, essentially, the menopause is when our periods stop. Um, and we usually refer to menopause as being when they've stopped for a full year. Um, and of course, many women, their periods become sporadic and they start to feel menopausal symptoms well before our periods stop altogether. And we refer, we refer to that phase as being perimenopausal. Um, essentially, for those of you that are listening that, that don't know the facts, um, as women, we have the 
finite number of eggs in our ovaries, and these are linked to the three hormones, um, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Um, and our bodies respond to these hormones in various different ways. And what happens is we, we develop chronic long-term hormone deficiency from those three hormones um, kind of after the age of, of about 45 normally. So the average age for menopause is about 50, 51. Um, the, the, you know, but, but perimenopause can start anything after 40. It's usually around 45, but we're hearing more and more women that are now because they're a bit more educated about, about the perimenopause, kind of going for blood tests and, and asking the question a little bit earlier. So, you know, who does it affect? So it affects 51% of the population and all of those around them. So I would say it affects everybody. Um, around 80% of women will have symptoms. Um, you know, if, if you're in that 20% that, that, that you don't, then lucky for you. And 25% of women will have really severe symptoms. And we know that that, that, that figure um, means that lots of people do take time off from work. Some leave their jobs. Um, and 77% of, of women didn't even realise that the symptoms were due to the menopause. So just moving on to, to think about the symptoms now. Um, so I'm going to start with the really obvious one that everybody thinks they know about, which is hot flushes and night sweats. And <laughs> those thermo uh, symptoms are real but they are absolutely not the only symptoms so if we think about physical you can have the hot flushes the night sweats really poor sleep fatigue uh, tiredness joint pain muscle pain your, your hair can go different uh, more coarse or, or thinner skin changes and um, palpitations headaches migraines in some instances and actually weight and body shape changing too um, and, and some women, women have reported um, feeling really itchy as well, and that, that's related to the menopause. And then if we move on to think about psychological symptoms as if that wasn't enough, um, anxiety, low mood, um, irritability, and brain fog, which is, is something that, that, that I've suffered with recently, and um, hence the fact that I've got some notes in front of me today. Um, poor memory, poor concentration, a lack of interest and motivation, and you know, an inability to multitask, and also a huge... Um, impacts on confidence and self-esteem and then other symptoms that I'm afraid remain really taboo but I think we really need to talk about them are um, you know urinary tract um, you know issues vaginal dryness discomfort in sex and, and actually a, re a reduced interest in sex as well and if we're thinking about health and well-being in, in its widest sense then I think it's really important to to include um, that as part of it and then the ongoing uh, risks to health um, bone thinning, obesity, raised cholesterol, dementia, depression, and the list goes on. Um, and for some of us, you know, that have only got interested in this topic in the last few years and we've reached a certain age, it, it, it's quite um, life-changing to read about, you know, how this time of our lives can affect us. Absolutely. I mean, sorry, Julia, go on. No, it's just, what a, you know, the breadth of symptoms, I think, is is astonishing. And, you know, this yeah. is a podcast, so people are listening to us, but if they could see us, they'd see, they'd have seen me nodding increasingly <laughs> um, vehemently as you were going through um, yeah. an awful lot of those symptoms. So, you know, we, we need to be, we need to be able to share and, and, and talk about it. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. That's, I was scribbling down lots as well. <laughs> no problem. No problem. I think I, I recognise a lot of those symptoms, as Julia said, from my loved ones as well. I know my mum has been particularly affected by it. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Lisa, was one of the one of the myths. And, and one of the things is sort of around the medication as well. So you mentioned that depression 
is is yeah. one of the symptoms. Is that something that do most women end up either getting told that they need to take antidepressants? What what, what are some of the myths around the menopause? So <laughs> you're right. There are lots of myths. I think the biggest myth is the one around um, you know the fact that it's just about hot sweats. Um, but but the other myth that I think is really dangerous is, is the myth that HRT is dangerous for everybody. Because actually, you know, the NICE guidance clearly states that the majority of women, the benefits of HRT completely outweigh the risks. And I think that that statement alone should give GPs more confidence to consider and prescribe HRT to women with menopausal symptoms. And, you know, what's happened is that, that over the years, the media have misinterpreted those risks and presented the risk around HRT as being far greater than it actually is. Um, so for, for me, that's the biggest myth. You know, we as women, we need to own our menopause. We need to be given more information. And if we've not got it, we need to find it so that we can make informed decisions about taking HRT and go to the doctor fully armed um, with that information. Because often, as you, as you alluded to, GPs, they don't have the specialist training. Some of them do, some of them don't. But if you if your GP happens to be one that doesn't, then you have to go in with, with you know, the information to hand yourself, being able to almost educate them and, and you know your own body. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that, that's really useful um, information, I think, think, for people to hear. So we're, we're talking about this and we're being very open, which is fantastic, but how do we start uh, or, or continue to normalise talking about the menopause? And I'm particularly interested in that from, you know, across the genders. I loved what you said about when we said, who does it affect? And you said, well, actually, it's everybody. Um, I think that's a brilliant way to look at it. Um, yeah, so how, so how do we... How do we make this a normal thing to talk about across gender um, and, and continue to reduce the stigma of, of talking about this, which is going to happen to, as you say, half the population? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really, really uh, interesting question. And I think it isn't easy. And I think if we maybe take some of the learnings from other areas. So if we think about mental health, for example, you know, the stigma has been massively reduced there because of the high profile, sheer number of people that have come out and talked um, openly about their own mental health, uh, about mental health affecting people in their family. Um, and I think that that, that is, is really important. And if we think about the, you know, the current role models that we've got around, around menopause at the moment, you know, it's not many. I think, you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, I've got Davina McCall, um, Gabby Logan, and there's an MP, Liz Kendall. Um, but where are our male role models? You're absolutely right. So uh, one thing that I've, I've really liked recently is, I don't know if you've seen the, um, the advertisement where male footballers are challenging misogyny and saying that sexism in football isn't a women's problem, it's everybody's. Yes. So I guess it would be more of that, you know, more of that kind of thing, really, where we have male role models as well. And it's talked about openly you know just as you know other health issues are talked about without taboo you know we need to talk about it more um and in different arenas and and i guess everybody needs to use their own circle of influence to talk about it and uh, and it not be a conversation stopper yeah i, I agree and I, and I also think 
you know, from personal experience, we probably need to stop apologising sometimes for talking about it. So I've been in conversations where they're in groups of people, male and female, and, and, and a conversation around the subject of menopause has started. And then somebody has said to, you know, to, to other colleagues, to other friends, oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, we, we're not sorry. <laughs> this is, and, and then they weren't, they weren't in the slightest bit close, right? I'll, I'll flag my husband as a great um, advocate and a, a supporter of uh, um, talking about and being aware of uh, menopause. So, you know, there must be many, many more, and they're just not yet visible, are they? No, they're, they're not. They're just not. I mean, we've got a long way to go in general, haven't we, in terms of gender stuff. So, for example, I know that it's only in the last 10 years, really, that, for example, sports coaches and, and coaches working with um, with girls have really started to factor in things like, you know, the menstrual cycle into um, affecting, you know, the, the training plans and things like that. So it's of no surprise, is it, that, that we're still here in terms of menopause? But I think... It, you're absolutely right. We need to normalise it. We need to stop apologising. And we need to stop making jokes about it ourselves as well because it isn't a joke. It's really serious. And we are losing, um, you know, women in their droves from the education sector. Um, you know, we know, don't we, that, that, that retention in teaching and recruitment, it continues to be an issue. And yet we've got something here that affects so many of our brilliant teachers and leaders and we're possibly not doing quite enough about it. I've been amazed, Lisa, when I, when, um, I think it's probably, uh, probably about a month ago now, we started talking about that we were going to be interviewing you and would anybody like to ask anything? And I've been yeah. absolutely amazed, actually, by the number of people who wouldn't openly put a message to say, oh, I'd like you to ask this, but the number of people who've just come up quietly to me and said, I'm really happy that you're talking about this. I'm, I'm going through it at the moment. And some yeah. of the things that they've they've expressed, and, and it'd be really great to get some ideas from you for, for advice for people who are struggling with symptoms. So people have come up and said, oh, well, I'm really struggling. I'm in really long meetings or um, I'm teaching a class for a very long time and there's there's nobody who can pop in to cover me. And I'm changing my clothes at lunchtime because by, by that time I'm, I'm, I'm sweating so much and I'm so uncomfortable yeah. that I that I need to change my clothes. And, and I don't know how to do that secretively. And I've got two tops that are the same. So people can't really tell that I'm changing wow. my clothes, that these are the things that people are having to do. It's almost hide it. So I'd love some advice from you about how do, can people manage the symptoms, but also... Yeah. So how can we let colleagues know that it's okay to, to talk about this it, 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 in the work environment and in, in a school and college environment? Yeah, absolutely. And that's so interesting that people have come to you kind of privately, but, but no surprise. So I guess the first thing, what would I advise? So number one, if you've not done it, go to the doctor, have a conversation, um, you know, have a look at the information about HRT, um, go to the doctor armed with one of those menopause questionnaires where you can you can prove to the doctor that you are experiencing a number of those symptoms already. Um, have a look at the different kinds of HRT, for example, body identical HRT um, and all that sort of stuff. So that would be point one in terms of making sure you're getting the right support. And there are alternatives to HRT if, if you are one of the very small number of people that it isn't appropriate for. Um, and then option number two would be Talk to your head teacher, talk to your, you know, your senior team in your multi-academy trust and tell them that you're, what, what you're struggling with. Because if there isn't a policy in place now, you could be the person that ends up affecting the, the policy and the culture of the place around menopause for all the other colleagues that you work with and all the other teachers and leaders that are going to follow in your footsteps. And, and don't hide, you know, actually changing, if you've got to change your outfit at lunchtime, 
then don't do it in secret. Say why you're doing it. Ask for a fan. You know, what are the reasonable adjustments that employees can make? You know, could you be in a cooler room? You know, is your room one of the south-facing rooms with lots and lots of windows? Um, it, you know, is there a fan? Are there any classrooms in your school? Probably not that have air conditioning, but there might be one or two. And, and just be really honest with people because, you know, if you don't get, you don't ask. And if you're not raising it as an issue, then nobody else is going to know it's an issue. And, and so... Moving on from that, you mentioned about, uh, I think, menopause policy uh, or a yeah. policy in the workplace. So could you give us a, a, a few ideas, a few tips on what should be included in a menopause policy for anybody that's, that is, does want to be that, that first person to start thinking about this and get this going? What should they be? What's the starting blocks? Yeah, of course I can. And just to say, you know, first of all, there are lots of schools and multi-academy trusts that do have a menopause policy or that have written um, something about menopause into perhaps a staff uh, health and wellbeing policy, which is what we've done at Bright Futures. But in terms of, of, of menopause policy, um, you know, what, what I would suggest that's in there is, you know, some kind of introduction where you set out the scene about menopause, not being taboo, not want to be hidden, some stats around the UK workforce and, and um, you know, the fact that there are between 75 and 80% of, of uh, menopausal people in work, you know, the things you'd expect in a, in a policy, the aims to educate, to provide training, to reduce absenteeism, all that sort of stuff. And, and, and I guess it's about culture as well, isn't it? Um, perhaps some definitions in there. You know, what is the menopause? What's the perimenopause? So, some information so that everybody is, is on the same page and has a clear understanding of the facts. I would also expect to see something about symptoms, the roles and responsibilities of, of, of line managers, HR, um, and then perhaps some suggestions of reasonable adjustments. Um, and, and then potentially at the end of the, of the policy, it would be really useful to have, you know, lots of external links to information. So, you know, the NHS, um, the, the other information that's out there and, and the other um, websites that are available so that people have got an easy way of finding stuff. Thank you. We've talked about this a little bit already, Lisa, but I'm just wondering, uh, we've talked from the sort of the employee, the individual's point of view and, and the sort of organisational policy. What are yeah. the things that employers can do to support employees to sort of work to end the stigma and any sort of um, potential dis discrimination with menopause and turn this into more of a positive experience? I mean, you talked about culture there. Do you think it, it starts with that? I think everything starts with culture because it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's menopause or, or something else that affects people essentially it is about the culture of a place isn't it it's about making sure that you have a people first culture and that everybody understands that if you get well-being right and you put people at the center of decision making that you generally get everything else right as well um but you know culture isn't created overnight it's about everybody having clarity it's about having clear vision so you know in a school or a multi-family trust you know, it's important that leaders are articulating the vision for an inclusive culture. And, and that inclusive culture isn't just about, um, you know, protected characteristics. It's also about making sure that everything else that affects people is taken into account. Um, I guess things like, you know, practical things like, you know, having a standing item about menopause on a staff inset on an annual basis. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before that I was chair of the Well Schools movement. Um, you know, this is a brilliant um, movement of schools that are all signed up to Well Schools to put wellness and well-being at the heart of school life. So doing things like that, perhaps having a well-being charter that menopause is written into. Um, we've already mentioned the policy, but I think that's important. 
Um, and as we learn more, as science um, you know, evolves and develops and we learn more, refreshing that policy. And you mentioned about um, you know, making sure that people are not treated badly because of the menopause. But you know, I, I would suggest you know, most organisations have a whistleblowing policy and, and we would deal with um, any allegations of that kind of thing in that way. Yeah, that's fantastic, Lisa. Thank you so much. I think there's some really good pointers for people who are perhaps starting out on their journey with this or who are listening and thinking, actually, my school or trust, I think we could be doing a bit better on this. Yeah, yeah, good. Thanks. So as we sort of bring our conversation to to a close, although I could go on talking to you all day, um, (laughs) we know or we we understand that that support from GPs seems to vary. So could we perhaps end by um, giving people um, an idea of where to go to find reliable information about the menopause, perhaps to help them go and have that informed conversation with their GP? Um, and, And how can people connect with you? Okay, so let's t- take the, um, the where to go for information bit first then. So first of all, the National Institute for Health and Care and Excellence, the NICE guidelines, there's a section there on menopause. Um, the NHS have an overview of menopause. And then the website that I really, really like is www.balance-menopause.com. And there is a, a doctor called Louise Newsom, who I think is amazing. And she has video clips and information, myths, questionnaires, all the sort of stuff that you that you need to know all in one place. Um, and I think she developed it linked to that, the Balance app. Um, so we've all got apps, haven't we, on, on our phones? And, and, and this is a, a symptom tracker with health reports and all the information on there as well. And then last but not least, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Davina McCall and those programs, um, I think it was called Sex, Myths and the Menopause. There was two of them. They were absolutely brilliant. And for a lot of people, they were the starting point. And, and I don't know whether or not this is a fact, but I do know that after those programs aired, um, HRT became harder to get hold of because there were so many more women, quite rightly, going to the doctors and asking for, for, for HRT. And I've got a few friends that anecdotally tell me that they were really worried that they weren't going to get the next prescription on time. Hopefully, hopefully the NHS has sorted that backlog out now. How to connect with me? So uh, two places, really. Um, on Twitter, um, at Lisa Fathers BF, which stands for Bright Futures. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and, and as I said at the beginning, we run a, a variety of training on, on menopause and it's selling out really quickly. So do get in contact if, if that's something of interest for your school or for you. Thanks. Thank you, Lisa. Lisa, that has been absolutely amazing. I've learned so much from you and I'm definitely going to go and check out those those resources because I think we need to keep having this conversation and we need to keep helping ourselves and helping our colleagues along along the way. So I think our listeners are going to get a lot of benefit from that. And I don't know about you, Julia, I'd absolutely love to have Lisa to come back and talk again to us about wellbeing and to to revisit menopause again as well. Yes, please. Yes, most definitely. Thank you. Oh, well, I'm always really happy to talk to, to nice people about anything to do with, with mental health and, and well-being, menopause, anything else. I've really enjoyed chatting to you too. Thanks. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And we'll be back soon. Thanks for joining us. The Ask All Business Brunch.